if you were here last Sunday and you heard that teaching, I wonder how many of you have been listening to your own stories this week. Um, thinking about the stories you hear yourself telling, explanations uh, as to why your life is what it is or not. How many of you have been listening to your own stories? All right. I see a lot of hands out there. And um, uh, I certainly have been very keen on the stories I'm telling myself and uh, finding some that's got to get better. That's all there is to it. Today, it's somewhat of an extension of that, the power of a good confession. Um, the central theme of this teaching today is the word confession. We most often think of that word as relating to uh, admitting to having done something wrong or exposing something bad and bringing to light something that was hidden. We often use that word confession in those situations. However, the word confession in your Bible, especially your King James Bibles, has a much broader meaning and application than just simply confessing that I did something uh, or admitting something. Um, it doesn't stop right there. The word confession means much more than that and uh, is, is used in multiple verses and we're going to look at just a handful of the most important. Um, hopefully, confessing sin in my life is something that just happens occasionally. But confessing my faith is something that must happen daily. So confession is not just about admitting that you've done something wrong, but it's about confessing or declaring your faith. And that is a much broader perspective that we read from the Scripture. So today I want you to look with me at the Bible about the power of a good confession and see how it can positively impact our lives. Are you ready to go? Now, um, <clears throat> something I've noticed uh, is that when you read a New King James Version or maybe a, a, um, an, uh, another authorized version, a revised version, you're more prompted to go a little deeper than the English and to use the various and wonderful tools that we have to look at the original language uh, and learn from what was being communicated in the original language. Of course, English was not the original language. Um, so there is a level of knowledge that you can gain just by reading your English Bible. But when you start investigating the original language, which would have either been Hebrew, Aramaic, or Kaneo Greek, uh, it opens up new levels of understanding that you cannot see by just simply reading the English. I'm not a Greek scholar. I can't speak Greek. I've never studied Greek uh, in, in that way, and I don't intend to. But we have tools that help us to look at unique words, unique um, original meanings that help us to understand the message of the Bible. And so when I look at a word like confession, which is used in your New King James Bible 352 times just in the New Testament, the, word, the, the Greek word from which we get confession is the word 
Hamalajeo. Now, I learned that just last night. But that word is used 350 times in your New Testament. It's most often translated confession, but it could be admit, declare, speak, acknowledge. It means to agree, or it could be used as praise. And so uh, the translators from the original language to the English, uh, and there's a, a journey to get from the original language to English, it's not a straight shot. Um, they choose words to, to represent the original words that were being used. So when we look at the original word, uh, a whole new door of understanding opens up. The word confession in, in this 21st century, 99% of the times to you and to me means confessing something I've done wrong or confessing some sin or confessing I did something, right? But when you look at the next layer down and you go to the Greek word and then you look at how it is used throughout the Scripture, um, it, it opens up your mind and opens up your understanding and deepens the message that God has for us. Some of the tools that uh, we use to um, help us get beneath the surface layer of truth and the message of the Bible is Vine's Expository Dictionary. Surely if you've studied the Bible, you've read through that. It's all uh, online now, so it's readily available, Vines, V-I-N-E-S. And according to Dr. Vine, it simply means the word homologeo uh, means to speak the same thing to assent, accord, or to agree with. So the word confession, using the original Greek, means to speak the same thing or to agree with. So, wow, that's a lot bigger than just admit I did something wrong. The word confession means to agree with. It means to say the same thing. It means to declare openly and to speak freely. It means to confess a way of, as a way of celebrating or giving praise and honor. And confess also means a promise. When you confess something, it means you're making a promise or you're making a commitment. So when we look at that, we can see, uh, then we go to the Bible and see what the Bible says using this word. It opens it up and helps us understand more clearly what this is all about. So I'm talking to you about the power of a good confession, and it's not about confessing sin, but it's about agreeing with God. It's about making my language and my story and what I say line up with what God is saying. It's about saying the truth as God sees it, not the realities that I have created. So uh, the power of good confession is because I am simply coming into agreement with God and I'm finally saying what God's always been saying and that I'm now speaking the truth instead of a mixture of what I think and what I believe and all the other. You see, the root problem is that we're not seeing what God sees and therefore not saying what God says. God lives on another level of truth and understanding. Now, whether we're confessing our faith or we're confessing our sin, whatever it is, it's an elevated way of thinking. 
and it releases something in our lives when we elevate our thinking and elevate our speaking and suddenly we're speaking the truth and we're saying the truth, it automatically elevates us and all of that is tucked away in the word confession in our New King James Bibles. You see, lies restrict, lies control, lies bring us into bondage. But the truth, the Bible says, sets us free. How many of you want to be free? The problem is we are a mixture of truth and lie, right and wrong, good and evil. And the more good, evil we have and the more lies we have woven into the fabric of our thinking and our views of life, the more we are in bondage. But the more truth we have, the more we are free. And we do not live in that bondage. So, today's study is about getting, uh, agreeing with God and saying the same things He's saying about certain things. This brings me to an, into an alignment with God, an alignment with God. Anyone that you agree with, there is an alignment. Let me give you a good example. Uh, America is mainly divided between Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. And there's whole ideologies that drive those various political parties. And if you agree with the ideology, you are aligned with that group of people. At your workplace, there are different ideas and thought processes and, and factions and approaches. And whichever one you agree with, you align yourself with that group of people. So agreeing with someone is a form of aligning yourself with them. If you are a Christian, you are aligned with other Christians because once you agree and once you begin to say the same things, then there is an alignment there. So back to the word confession. The power of confession is it aligns me with God. The whole story of redemption is how that mankind was out of alignment with God, estranged from God. Up at, at a distance and uh, contrary to God. But Jesus Christ stepped in the middle and brought the human race and God together and brought us back into alignment. And so confession brings me into alignment with God and it releases freedom into my life and power and a force that comes from God himself. It aligns me with God. Now, aligning with God begins with confessing sin. Confessing our sin, first of all, is taking responsibility for our actions, our behavior, our thoughts, and our desires, our words, and all the other things that make us who we are. Confessing sin is, first of all, accepting responsibility, not blaming others, not justifying what I'm doing, but accepting the fact that I have sin in my life because I chose that sin and I am responsible for that sin and there's no one else to blame. I am a sinner and I accept responsibility. That's what confession is all about, confession of sin. When we encounter God, the truth overwhelms self-deception. It's endless a human being's ability to self-deceive. It's endless what we can talk ourselves into and convince ourselves that's not even the truth. But we're no more influential and no more powerful and convincing over anybody in the world than we are our own self. 
But when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, he is the truth. He doesn't just know the truth. He is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. Truth oozes from him. Truth just is who he is. Everything about him is the truth. So you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and the truth overwhelms all of the lies and justifications and rationales that we've created over our lives, and the truth overwhelms us, and before you know it, we're broken emotionally, our will is submitted, our eyes are are filled with tears, and we're saying, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner, and in the light of your glory and in the light of your truth, I need you to forgive me and help me. I can't do this on my own. I'm lost. I need a Savior. That's what confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, and coming to Christ is all about. It's the truth overwhelming a lie. It's confessing that we are responsible for the persons we are and the life that we're living and asking God to forgive us and to help us overcome. So confession of sin is the first step toward getting aligned with God, getting saved. Matthew chapter 3 talks about how that John the Baptist came preaching prior to the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over Jordan Valley went to see and hear him. And when they had confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Wow. You know, uh, getting saved begins with repentance. Repentance is about seeing yourself like you really are, not like you've told yourself and others have said about you, but seeing yourself as you really are and asking God to forgive you and repenting of those sins and making a turn in your life. It always begins with that. The first step of getting saved is repenting of your sin and asking God to forgive you. There's no way you can get saved without and circumvent repenting of sin. You can pray any prayer you want to pray and do anything you want to do, but you can't circumvent confronting the fact that we're all sinners and we all need a Savior. And and taking responsibility for that is the first step. So today we're going to do a water baptism. Um, Water baptism is an outward, uh, uh, it's an outward expression of an inward experience. And so um, what happens in water baptism, it's a public confession of your faith. It's a public statement that you need a Savior, and you've embraced Jesus as your Savior. And so what happens in water baptism from the beginning since John the Baptist is, people come confessing their sins, confessing they need a Savior, confessing they need help, confessing they're not right, getting in alignment with God, finally saying what God's been saying all along. That's what salvation is all about, and a baptism is a public expression of that. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul said, if, we confess, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Isn't that amazing? So we believe in our heart. That gives us the righteousness. But when we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're saved. 
So I accept the responsibility for my life and who I am and the life I've lived and the things that are not right in me. I come to Christ, I give them to Him, and I ask Him to forgive me, and then I I confess Christ. I confess that He is the only Savior. He's the only righteous one. He is my Savior, and I invite Him to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. And that's the essence of salvation. And look how it all just kind of revolves around confession, saying what God is saying, And agreeing with God is what inducts us into his family and into his kingdom. Now, look at 1 John 1 and 9. The Apostle John said, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so uh, we have this promise. This is not about the day I get saved, but this is every day after. If we confess our sin, if we realize that we have stumbled, fallen, made a mistake, done something wrong, then we go to God and we say, God, I want to I tell you, I want to confess that I, I've sinned and I messed up and I shouldn't have done that and it was not according to your will, and I'm asking you to forgive me, and I thank you because your word promised that if I would confess to you that you would forgive me and you would cleanse this sin out of my life and I would not continue it because you would give me the power over it. And that's what every Christ, the life every Christian lives. That's how we have to live. Aren't you glad that God didn't save you, forgive you of all of your sin, but say, look, don't do it again. That was it. Not one more time. But he made provision because he knows how we're made. And so he says, when you mess up, you go back to God and you ask God to forgive you. But it it all hinges again around confession. It's taking responsibility. It's coming into agreement with God. It's saying what he's saying and being um, in agreement with him. And he said, if you you say you have not sinned, you're a liar. You're making God a liar. Um, So we accept that. And we get in agreement with God and we try to say what God has said. And I know what God has said by studying the Bible. Now, James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that they may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So it says, confess your trespasses. So we look at the word confess. Now look at the word trespass. Have you ever been to someone's property and you notice there's a sign, it says no trespassing. It means this is is my property, this is a boundary line, um, so don't cross my property line. You're not welcome on this side of the fence. So there's a no trespassing. Uh, Trespassing is when you go beyond a boundary. You cross a line. In every area of life, God has boundaries. And he said, you can do anything you want inside these boundaries. Now, I can do anything I want, but if in the doing of it, I find myself on the wrong side of the boundary, then I'm a trespasser. And uh, if I'm a trespasser, that's a sin. And so I have to go back to God and ask God to forgive me of my trespassing. I went beyond the boundaries. In every area of life, God gives us a space to enjoy, a space of freedom and a space of beauty and blessing, but he says, don't go past this. Anything you want in here, but don't go past here. We see that right up in the Garden of Eden. God said, I put every tree that's good to eat, every tree that's beautiful to the sight, 
It's all here in the garden, and you can have all you want. Eat it, enjoy it, take care of it. It's, a, it's just for you. I made it perfect just for you. But he said, I want to tell you something. There is a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and even evil. He said, now you take care of it. You make sure it's got everything it's need and prune it and fertilize it and make sure it's just right, but don't eat of that tree. What was God doing? He's saying, I want to create a boundary. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to be blessed. I did it just for you. Have fun. Do it all. But there's a boundary here, and it's right around one tree. Don't eat of that tree. Well, you already know what happened. They trespassed. They went past the boundary God had set. And so that's God's pattern. In every area of our life, there are boundaries. There's boundaries in our sexual relationships. There's areas that God said, this is blessed and this is not blessed. This is okay and this is not okay. In the area of our finances, God said, here's the boundaries. Do this and don't do that. There's boundaries. Enjoy it. Be blessed, but observe the boundaries. When it comes to eating, you have to have boundaries. And rest, you have to have boundaries. And work, you have to have boundaries. And relationships, you have to have boundaries. And God says, inside the boundaries, you're blessed, but don't trespass. Don't go past these boundaries. So when we go past the boundaries, we confess and God forgives us of our trespasses. Now, there is a, a need at times for us to confess to one another. There is something unhealthy about never being transparent about your mistakes and my mistakes. There needs to be people in our lives that we confess to, that we're transparent with, and we're open about things we have not done right. My good Catholic friends, um, their priests serve a, a big role in that, and they go to confession, and they sit in a little booth area, and they tell the priest all the things they've done, and they confess. I don't know that that's a New Testament biblical model, but I do know that there is value in confessing. I would venture to guess that some of you have worshipped in that pattern in, earlier in your life, and you already know the power of just sitting and confessing that I've sinned and I, I trespassed and I, I crossed some boundaries, and I, I'm sorry for that. Because confession releases you from the power of that thing, and, and it releases a newness and a freshness in your life. I, I'm not going to be going in one of those booths and listening to your confessions, I assure you that. <laughs> um, but there have to be people in your life that you have the kind of relationship with that you can be open, honest, and transparent. Like a pool of water that has no inlet and outlet, the water becomes stale and stagnant, poisonous and dangerous, smelly. But if there's an egress and, and an ingress and an egress, the water's coming in, the water's going out, it keeps the water pure. And so when we have a transparent lifestyle and we have people that we're open and honest with, it keeps the water flowing in our life and keeps us healthier and stronger if we're honest and open. I believe James chapter 5 is about a lot of powerful things, more than we can cover today. But I think it's a, it's a message about being transparent in life. All of us have portions of ourselves and our lives that is private. Now, because you and I have the relationship we have, I can be more tr transparent and I can talk to you about things that I wouldn't want on Facebook. 
And I sure wouldn't want it on the, the local news channel. It's not because it isn't true. It's just I'm not comfortable with my personal stuff on that level. But I could tell you about it. And then there's people that I'm even closer to than you. My, my immediate family, my very close friends, and people I've walked with for years. I, I can be more transparent with them. And then, of course, there's my wife. And, and she and I are very transparent and very open, and, 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 and the circle just keeps getting smaller. And so my goal in life is to make sure that that, that little circle in the middle of my life that nobody knows, just me and God, is real small. Just real small. Because if you have this big circle of things that nobody knows but you and you can't tell anybody, it's just not healthy. It's not happy. It's not good. It doesn't work. It tends to get bigger and worse. And we're always hiding and, 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 and we have to deceive and we have to tell lies and, and, and we're always feeling a load and, and we're always trying to justify and rationalize and, and we're always trying to fix it. And all we have to do is open the door and just confess, first and always to God, and then have good people in your life that you have a transparency with that you can open up and talk. Please say amen. amen. Thank you. So confession is about living a transparent life, maintaining one identity. One identity. You know, I, I think I know people that they're like a lizard. They change colors while you're looking at them. I mean, they, they just take on their environment. It's an amazing thing. They have one identity that they project at work, one identity in the church, and one idea with their family. And they have friends that they say and do these things with. They have other friends they don't say and do those things with. And they have all these identities they're match managing. They have all these do's and don'ts that only apply according to whom, who they're with at the time. I, I just believe that we ought to be the same all the time to whomever we're with and just have one identity. This is it. Good or bad, indifferent, uh, like it or lump it, I'm not going to be three people to pl pl please three different groups of folks. Just going to be one person, be the very best one person that I can be, and just have one identity. And I'm not going to live with hidden things. Hidden things are like cancer that eat away and multiply and grow, and they metastasize to other areas of my life. I can't have hidden secret things. I can only manage a very small area of my life that's totally private and totally personal. I can only manage the smallest portion. <clears throat> so I want to keep that ultimately private circle real small. Now, James went on to say how that if you'll confess to one another, you'll be healed. So the power of confession is that it has a healing effect to you. It has a healing effect. It has a healing effect. And, and when you just kind of get things out there and get them said and in the right environment with the right people, it just promotes healing. It just, it get healed and you kind of settle that and you move on. Because the power of agreement is, the power of confession is, it promotes healing internally. 
You see, sin breaks our lives, breaks our heart, breaks our spirit. It just ruins everything for us. But confession of those sin brings healing and brings deliverance. So uh, confession has the power to release healing from the brokenness that those things have caused. I believe that confessing our faith, that's the two things we confess. We confess our sin and confess our faith. And that's, that's the two big things. And I, I don't know if I've made that point strong enough yet today, but that's the two things. Confess your sin and confess your faith. And uh, I'm not going to be able to, to, to spend a lot of time talking about confessing your faith, but um, I just want to say a couple things. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 14. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate and that you keep this commandment without spot blameless until the Lord Christ, Lord's Christ appearing. So he said, fight the good fight of faith. Hold on to your good confession. Just, just keep that confession strong. Now, we're not talking about sin anymore. We're talking about faith. We're talking about how we report life, how we summarize life, our view of life, our perspective. Just hold on to that confession. Keep confessing Jesus is Lord. Keep confessing He's your Lord and Savior. Keep confessing He wants to bless your life. Keep confessing He wants to do good things for you. Keep confessing He has a purpose for me. Keep confessing He's working things out in my, my behalf. Paul said, when you're fighting the good fight of faith, hold fast to that confession. Don't capitulate your, your, your vocabulary. Don't Capitulate your conversation. Don't give up. Don't give in. But keep saying the truth. You know, this month we're going to be praying and seeking God. And um, sometimes we pray one thing. And as soon as the prayer is over, we say something very different. So my conversation has to line up with my prayer life. And if I'm going to pray it, then i got to keep saying it after the prayer meeting is over. But over and over again, we get in prayer and we do things right. And we get in private conversation and we give up our good confession. We say something very different than we said in prayer. So our confession is our conversation. Everybody say conversation. It's our conversation. What are we having a conversation about? What is the context of the conversation? What is the essence of what we are saying? Confession is the story I choose, the story. You know, I talked to you last week about what's your story. The story is the explanation of why you are who you are and why you do what you do and why life is what it is. It's your story. It's your explanation. Some cases it's an excuse, but it's our explanation. It's our rationale. My confession is my story, what I am confessing about the past, about the present, and the future. Confession is the direction I'm going, the direction. Whatever I'm speaking, that's where I'm going. And it's very difficult in troubled waters and difficult times and stormy seasons to keep saying where you want to go and say it strong enough and often enough that it keeps your ship going in the right direction. I think about what James said in chapter 3, verse 4, 
I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. A small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue, that's the words that come out of our mouth, is a small thing and it makes great speech. So one of the greatest word pictures in the Bible is about how that, uh, this massive ship has a, a rudder and the proportional size of the rudder to the ship is amazing how that something so small can change the direction of something so large. And James, knowing that, he said to us, your tongue is like the rudder on that ship. Wherever you turn it, that's where your life is going to go. So our confession is the direction of our life. And if we will keep confessing our destination, our chosen destination, inevitably it's going to turn the ship of our life where we want to be. But if we're careful, careless and we're unintentional and we allow emotions to govern our words and to tell the story that, that seems to make us feel better at the moment, then inevitably we're turning the rudder away from where we want to go, probably in the direction we don't want to go. God help us to be the pilot of our lives and make sure our rudder, the words, the conversation and our confession is sending us in the direction that we really do want to go. These are timeless principles of God's Word. Thank you for that pitiful little hand clap. It, it's, it's worse than I thought, I could tell. <laughs> our eternal destiny is determined by our confession. Our eternal destiny. If you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And then in Revelation 12 and 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is your confession. It's the story you're telling. It's the rudder of your ship. And if you will keep having a strong testimony of your faith and your love and your commitment to Christ, then it assures that you're going to be an overcomer in this life and someday the Father is going to accept you. Romans 14 and 10, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God and then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So we know that ultimately every knee is going to bow to Jesus Christ, ultimately, and their mouth, their tongues are going to confess, Jesus is Lord, he's always been Lord, and he always will be Lord. He's always the truth. He's always going to be the truth. He's always been right. He's always going to be right. Every tongue is going to have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then at the end of time, the Bible says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in a white garment. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. The book of life is like the roll call. It's like the list of God's children. But he said, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So this is kind of the way I'm picturing it. The Father God says, okay, Jesus, tell me who are your followers. Give me the list of people that repented of their sin, gave their hearts to you, and followed you throughout their lifetime. And so Jesus stands up with a book of life, and he starts to read. I don't know if it's going to be alphabetical. I don't know if it's going to be chronological. 
I don't know if it's going to be national or ethnical. I I don't know how he's going to figure it out. All I know is he's got a book, and I sure want my name in it. (laughs) And He's going to start to read those names, and the Bible says he's going to confess it before the Father. And I'm going to be sitting there saying, man, I'll be glad when he gets to the seas, (laughs) you know, and to hear him call my name, identify with me, establish the fact that I was his follower is going to be the most wonderful moment in all of eternity is to hear our Savior say, he's one of mine. I've got his name right here. Can you say amen? You can close your Bibles now. Thanks for uh, sharing this with me today. Um, I get to studying this stuff, and I just get more than I can say. Um, but I hope it's been a blessing to you and um, that this is something that will kind of reverberate in your mind as the week comes on. I just believe the Holy Spirit helps us to get seed thoughts on Sunday morning, and He kind of nurtures those seeds throughout the week and helps us. And I pray that this will be good seeds sown in the good soil of your heart. We're going to do a water baptism, and if you want to be water baptized, uh, we'd like to do that now. If you uh, had not planned to do this, but you would like to jump right in, and you feel a tugging on your heart, something is pulling on you to be water baptized, then uh, Dervin and Stacia are right there, back there somewhere. And if you'll go back, they have, we have clothes and towels and all that available. If you didn't bring clothes, we, we try to uh, be ready for that so that you would not have to wait. Uh, we have several that signed up, and uh, they're getting ready now. We're going to bring them in and water baptize them in just a few moments. And um, if you want to be one of those, you don't have to be a member of the church. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. This has got to be a significant moment in your life. And uh, maybe you're just coming to God for the first time, or maybe you're renewing your faith. But the first thing you do is you get water baptized. We'll do that for you today. We're also going to dedicate some babies. Have I got a baby to dedicate today? Have I got a baby here anyway? All right, come on down. And if you want to do an impromptu baby dedication, we'll do that too. If you have a child that you want to dedicate, um, we'll be happy to serve you in that way. While I'm doing this, they're getting ready to be baptized, and uh, we're going to um, conduct that here in just a few moments. Look at at this fine boy. Maxwell. Maxwell. That's a name, isn't it? Whoa, that boy's heavy. He's, He's got rocks in his diaper. He's a fine boy. I'm catching my breath. I'm going to lift him up here in a minute, but i got to get ready. (laughs) Maxwell, we're proud of you, boy. We ask the Lord for you. You're no accident, I guarantee you that, because you are an on-purpose kid for God. Okay, let's go. Father, I lift up Maxwell to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for this precious little gift from heaven, that your hand of blessing is upon him that he's healthy and strong, and the glory of God is upon his life. Use him for your glory and for your kingdom. He came from you, and he will return to you. He belongs to you, and we commit ourselves to be faithful servants, faithful stewards of his life, that he would live a long and happy life, that he would be naive concerning that which is evil, but he would be wise concerning that which is good. 
For your glory may he live, and for your goodness may he share. We speak a blessing on Maxwell and dedicate him to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I bless this father and mother in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for this precious man and the wife you have given him, for their commitment to you and their faithfulness to this church. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them, making them happy in their heart and healthy in their body and in their soul. Continue to give them everything they need with an abundance. Use them for your glory. May their home always be filled with the glory of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Pastor Durham.